Are there any other announcements that I need to make tonight? Yes? Oh, well, Vacation Bible School. It's like June the 11th to the 15th or something like that. It's right in the middle of June. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, you'd like to help in some way, which, of course, we'll talk about that kind of thing tonight in the lesson, you know, about not just hearing but doing, so that would be applicable to VBS and any other number of things that we could be doing. So um, if you want to help, let Suzanne Gray know. Okay, um, outside of that, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And Galatians 5, uh, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill or carry out the desire of the flesh. And so that's how we want to learn to uh, live our Christian life, learn to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And, of course, uh, if we uh, are not being led by Him but, but doing our own thing, then we step out of fellowship. And so to be restored to walking by the Spirit, we confess... 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from each unrighteousness. So we always take just an opportunity, if we've stepped out of fellowship, to uh, have an opportunity to get back in fellowship individually, privately, between the believer, priest, and the Lord. So let's, let's have an opportunity for that now, and then uh, turn back to his word. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace because you bestow it upon us without cost. Uh, you ask nothing of us. You uh, have been satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, because of that satisfaction, there's a free offer of eternal life to any who will believe. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we will look again tonight at the Gospel of Luke, which looks so uh, closely at salvation available to all people, the universal offer of salvation, and um, to see the responses and to uh, reflect on the responses of various people throughout this, uh, this gospel work uh, so that we see that there's nobody that's beyond the reach of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God unto salvation, uh, which is the gospel message. And... Um, Pray that we, uh, through this, have a closer realization, a better realization, a realization that moves us to action as the Lord Jesus Christ is, is very interested in us not just being hearers, but doers also. And uh, what that really means in this context, uh, to follow what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying and to take the word of God to people what we have learned to uh, transmit that to others also and uh, thereby benefit spiritually and gain greater insight into the scripture um, by your revelation of things to us in, this, in the word. And so uh, we pray for this lesson and uh, for its uh, being instilled in our hearts 
so that it can be applied in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I know it's been a couple weeks because I wasn't here last Wednesday, but last time when we were in the Gospel of Luke, we were in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15, which is called the parable of the sower. And of course, um, in Matthew's Gospel, this is the very first parable. And his gospel is more chronological than Luke's. Luke's is ordered thematically. Okay? It's not ordered, ordered chronologically. The first four verses of Luke can confuse you because it says that Luke says that he set out to write in an orderly account. And people think orderly means chronological. But it simply means, in this case, a thematic order. Okay? Matthew is more chronological, and the very first parable that the Lord taught was the parable of the sower, and his disciples asked him in the Gospel of Matthew, why are you speaking in parables, which just highlights the fact that you've never done this before, what are you doing? Now, Luke doesn't make this the first parable in his Gospel, okay, and we can't tell here that it's his first in, in uh his first parable, but it was, okay? So Jesus was changing his teaching style when he began with the parable of the sower. And of course, the question is why? Why would he change his teaching, teaching style? And the answer is basically that this was what is called the long day in the Gospels. This day has more recorded about it than any other day in the Gospels. And that's significant considering the fact that there's a day called the crucifixion, that's significant knowing there's a day called the resurrection, but this day had more about it than any other day. And it's really because it's this day and what happened on this day that set in motion the forces that would lead to the crucifixion and the resulting resurrection. Okay? And what happened on this day? Well, what happened on this day was the Jewish leadership, the leadership of the nation Israel, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And they committed the unpardonable sin, which is known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which sin was to claim that the miracles that Christ had done were done by Satan working through him and not by the Holy Spirit. Thus it's known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of that rejection, he now turns to speaking in parables. And um, this meant that they would hear truth, but they would not understand it. They would see it but not grasp it, right? And this would set them for judgment as a generation, and that judgment came on them in AD 70 in the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? So we have the beginning of the parables. And we said, what is a parable? We said it's distinct from an allegory. Let's be clear. We don't maybe talk in these terms a lot in English, in our culture, but... Uh, they did, and a parable is distinct from an allegory. So an allegory can be like a fictitious story, and it can illustrate many spiritual truths, but a parable is different. It is a real-to-life story that illustrates one major spiritual truth. So in the parable of the sower, which is a true-to-life type of story, we're looking for one major spiritual truth. And that one truth is this. Christ is looking for people not just to hear and believe, but
but to bear fruit. That is what this parable is all about, fruit bearing. And Luke um, has parallels to this in uh, Matthew 13 and Mark 4, but he, he's broader because the, the emphasis in Mark and in Matthew is on hearing the word of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But in Luke, the emphasis is on the word of God, people's response to the word of God. Okay? And that's a little broader than the kingdom message. But at any rate, we found there are three major elements in, these, in this parable that help us decipher the one major spiritual truth. And that's there's a sower, and the sower is going about, and he's scattering the seed. And, of course, you can see that in your mind's eye. And then you have the seed, and as it is flung, it lands on soil. So the second thing is soil, uh, four soils. Or the second thing is the seed, but... Um, the uh, third thing is the soils. There are four soils, right? And whatever soil the seed lands on, that soil responds in some way to the seed, okay? So these four different soils actually refer to the four different responses that people will have to the Word of God, okay? And I really want to make a lot of application of this today, tonight. So for the setting, the setting is Luke 8.4, Luke 8.4. And you see there a large crowd coming together. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us the scene, but the scene was the Sea of Galilee. Okay, Jesus uh, got into a boat, and he sat down in the boat to teach the people who were on the shore. And the audience consisted of people, verse 4, from the various cities that Jesus had visited, and he preached the word of God to them. And now this is the first parable to them. Here it is, verse 5. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Okay, so it landed on really hard ground, trampled down ground. Uh, seed, seed never got into the soil, right? It's then crushed as people walk by, and the birds come by, and what do they do? They eat it up. Clear. It's very clear. In verse 6, the, he says, Other seed fell on rocky ground, different type. And as soon as it grew up, it withered because it had no moisture. Okay, the word for rock, rock means like ledges, like rocky ledges, big bedrock. It just has soil that's accumulated in low-lying places, but there's not enough moisture there in the soil, so once the seed here is taken into the soil, and it does grow up, but it only lasts like one day, right? And then it withers, so there's no fruit production, no fruit. Seed went in the soil, sprouted up, no fruit. That's clear. In verse 7 then, he says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and it says the thorns grew up with it, you know, along with it, and, they ch and choked it out. So this one again, this one went in the soil too, and it had a little more success because it grew up alongside the thorns for a while, but after a while, what happened? The thorns outcompeted it, and this plant, this plant even bore fruit, but it was immature or, you know, not edible. You know, it didn't finish. It didn't finish its production. No mature fruit. And then verse 8, he says, uh, other seed fell into the good soil. It's the fourth one. And it grew up, and it produced a crop a hundred times as great. So this is the only seed that landed on good soil and had fruit production. And, of course, that's the main point. A parable has one major spiritual point. This is the one major spiritual point, and it's related to fruit production. Christ's desire, of course, is for those who hear the word of God and believe it to do what? To bear fruit. Okay. I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, John 15, the vine and the branches. 
Abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing, right? And it's only the branch that's abiding that does what? Bears fruit, right? It's a close, intimate fellowship, okay? It's more than relationship, right? More than relationship. And now, in verse 8b, as Jesus was saying these things, it says he would call out, He who has ears, listen. Okay? Listen. In other words, he's looking at a big crowd of people, and he says, Now, all of you people out here, thousands of people perhaps, are in one of these four camps. You're one of these four soils. And here's what I want. I want you to hear what I'm saying, because my real interest is you be one of the fourth, the fourth soil, be in that group, okay? The ones who received the seed, grew up, bore fruit, okay? Now, what I'm basically going to argue is that what he's talking about, if, if you have a field and it comes to production, okay, in other words, it bears seed, right, for the next generation, right? You have, in effect, if you're a plant that bore seed, you have reproduced yourself, Okay, in this case, a hundred times over, you've reproduced yourself and that now there's a hundred of you in the next generation. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Okay, he's talking about people. He's talking about people, okay, being the result of what you are doing, a reproduction of yourself. Now, in verse 9, his disciples uh, began to ask him, what does this mean? What is this all about? Okay, now they wanted to understand what it meant, but in verse 10, it says that Jesus answers another question that Luke doesn't even record, and that's, that's why you're speaking in parables in the first place. Matthew talked about that. I don't know why Luke put it in here, but he did say it on this occasion. We're given no prompt for that, but Matthew says they did ask the question, you know, why are you speaking in parables? And he answers it here in Luke 2. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest... The kingdom of God mysteries are just going to be in parables so that they see and may they, they may not see, hear and they're not going to understand it, okay? And all this does is remind us that the historical context was that very long day in the Gospels, the day that Jesus was rejected, okay? And that that caused him to change his method, okay? Now he's going to speak in parables. This is going to reveal on one hand and it's going to conceal on the other. It's going to reveal to those who were following closely to him the mysteries of the kingdom, they're going to grasp that in time. They're going to come to understand that. Those who were not following him closely, they're not going to get it. Okay? They're not going to get it. But in verse 11, he begins to answer their actual question. You know, what is the meaning of the parable of the sower? Okay? And he says, this is the parable. This is it. The seed is the word of God. Okay? It's the word of God. And that's what the Jesus and the apostles had gone throughout the land, and they were proclaiming what? They were proclaiming in every city they went to the word of God. They were scattering the seed, right? Throwing the seed out there. Here's the message. Here's the message. Everybody, you got this? You got this? So evidently, who's the sower? Well, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and his apostles. But you can really view them all together because they're doing exactly the same thing. And they have exactly the same message. They're all throwing the same seed, right? In this case, the word of God. And in verse 12, the first soil says... Uh, it refers to those who heard the word of God. It says, but the devil came and took away the word from their hearts so they would not believe and be saved. Showing us the devil can interfere when the word of God goes out and a person hears it. He can in some, in some way interfere with their acceptance of it. But they're believing it. And so these people did not believe and they were not saved. Okay. And what did I say? I said, uh, I'd like to parallel these with people in 1 Corinthians 2. And we're going to go there tonight and spend some time there. So this, I said, this is the natural man. 
in 1 Corinthians 2. So the first one, I don't like the way I did that. Let's just, let's just do uh, the first one is the natural man. And he's in uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Okay, we'll just do two, three, four. We'll do all of them, right? Okay. Now, this verse uh, 13, second soil. This referred to those, it says, who heard and received the word with joy, but they had no root, and so they believed only for a while. And then when temptation came, they fell off. They fell away. Now, this soil is obviously highly debated, you know, especially what it means they believe for a while. What does that mean? And whether that, is that sufficient to be saved if you only believe for a while? Uh, but it seems resolved in the fact that the verb received is a synonym for believed, like 1 Corinthians, or, uh, John 1, 12. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believed in his name. Okay. And the soil did receive the seed here, and it, it, the plant quickly grew up. The only issue was what? It, did, it grew, but it didn't bear any fruit. Fruit. And I said, this person in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is what we call, what is called the infant. 1 Corinthians uh, 3. So this really 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, these two chapters. But the natural man's in chapter 2, the infant's in chapter 3. Kind of, You know, they put the chapter divisions in there, right? but those aren't inspired, so you can disregard those if you so please. Um, just they help us find where we are, right? So the natural man, he's an unbeliever. This guy received the word, okay, quickly grew up. We say he's a believer, but I'm going to ask you a question in a minute and see if you can sort through this yourself. And that is this. Can you not believe and be saved? No, no, don't answer the question because if you do, I almost can guarantee you 50% of them or more of the people in this room are going to get this, that answer wrong. Okay? This guy says believe for a while, but after a while he stopped believing. Right? Yes or no? He stopped believing. Okay? Can you be, be not believing and be saved? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The guy believed. After a while, he said, I don't believe that anymore. But he was still saved. I don't know. I've never heard anybody ask that question. Okay. In the way that we're asking it. But it's a question the Bible prompts us to ask right here. It challenges us to ask that question. And answer it correctly. Okay. And we're going to talk about these people in a little while. Okay. Because I think you know a lot of them. Okay, I think you know a lot of them. That should, in one sense, set your heart at ease, and another heart, it should set your heart at concern. All right, verse 14, third soil. Those who heard, but they were among the thorns of life, and they went about their life, and, and uh, what happened? All the worries and concerns of the world, the riches, the pleasures, all that choked it all out, and they brought no fruit to maturity. They brought fruit, but it never got to where? It never got to maturity. You know, like an apple you wouldn't eat? A peach you would, wouldn't touch? You'd pick the other one? It didn't go to maturity. Now, the problem is, of course, here they got caught up in the world, and all the world has to offer, so they didn't finish the race, right? They didn't persevere to the end. Now, 
So we have a group that in 1 Corinthians 3 is called uh, fleshly. And again, you know, did the soil take up the seed? Did it grow up for a while among the thorns? Sure enough, it did. But then what happened? They got carried away by all the thorns. They said, oh, we want to do that thing. Okay. And in fact, they almost bore fruit. I mean, they, they started to bear fruit, but then what? Well, they didn't finish. It never matured. Okay. So they're believers, but they just never pressed on all the way to maturity and had mature fruit. They never reproduced themselves, let's just say that. They never reproduced themselves in anybody else. So I call this person the fleshly believer because that's what Paul calls him over in 1 Corinthians 3. Okay. And then the fourth soil, in verse 15, they heard the word, it says, with an honest and good heart, and it says they held fast to the word, and they bore fruit in perseverance. Now this is the most interesting soil, and... Um, I hope you don't mind me stepping on your toes, some toes, tonight, because I'm going to just say these things, and I hope you can consider it, okay? You can consider these things. I don't know, I've read a lot of books from Reformed theologians, especially on the five points of Calvinism. I've got four books on the five points, that's all it's about, okay? Steele and Thomas, whatever the other ones are. Um, now, one, uh, I don't know, any other, anyone who holds to all five points Okay, that were delineated back at the Synod of Dort, right, in 1618 to 621, who can accept the idea in verse 15 that an unbeliever could hear the word with an honest and good heart. Okay, because they're viewing man, right, in the, in the acronym, uh, TULIP, as totally depraved, right? Okay, now, that's fine. We can say total depravity. That's fine. The issue is what does it mean? Here I'm just trying to say, what do they say it means? What do they say it means? Well, for them it means total inability. Inability. Okay? Total inability to respond to the Word of God. But see, this all did respond to the Word of God. So if you believe that, what are you going to have to fill in here? You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to fill some blanks in. You're going to have to come along and say, well, uh, well, God regenerated him prior to they're hearing, and that's what gave them the ears to respond in a favorable fashion or something like that, okay? But, of course, the passage doesn't say anything like that. We, we know that. Um, it just simply says they heard the word with an honest and good heart. It says, okay, so I'm done with that, okay? But then it goes on to say what? It says, and then they held fast. Kat echo, and it's a synonym for faithfulness. If you hold fast to something, obviously you're being faithful to it, whatever it is. So they were faithful. And the end result was, it says, they bore fruit in perseverance. That's translate in perseverance. The reason is, is because when do you really bear fruit? When you're having to persevere through some trial? <laughs> you know, and you are persevering. Now, if you're not persevering, you're not bearing any fruit. You're having a pity party for yourself, right? No good fruit there. But if you bear fruit in perseverance, it means you are um, going through your trial and you're trusting the Lord. Um, and there's, there's a good result, okay? Now, this is the only group, okay, of all four, whatever you think about the rest of this, the, this is the only group that bore mature fruit, right? Everybody agree to that? Now, I called this guy the uh, spiritual man because that's what Paul calls him over in 1 Corinthians 2, and he's obviously a believer too, but he's the only one who bore fruit, right? So these, these other two guys, believers, but they didn't have any fruit. Okay, well, let's go over to 1 Corinthians 
two, and three. Okay, and I want to show you these four men again. I want to make some observations, and then I just want to make some very practical applications. Here's the deal. What I'm showing you here is what, what is how we move from exegesis, which is what I do in the office, to exposition, which is what I do in front of you, to application, which is also part of what I do with you. Okay? In the end, see, if you can't tell your audience, so what, or what difference does it make, then you haven't, you haven't done justice to the text. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good you can exegete the text in front of your audience. If you haven't told your audience, so what, then who cares? Okay? Who cares? Nobody. Okay? Nobody cares. So, there is something for us here. And there's something for us in every text. And it is very personal. This is a relational book. This is not just a set of words on a page. Okay? This is from our Creator. He has something to say to you. He has something to say to me. He's not messing around. Okay? Now, if you will go to the epistles and you will go to your own life, you will find these four types of people or these four responses that people have to the Word of God. The first one, right? Unbeliever. They heard the devil came and took it away, so they didn't believe. But here we come to 1 Corinthians 2, 14. And we find this same man, natural man, unbeliever, right? But there's an additional description of things that take place in this man. It says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Now, if you followed my exposition in 1 Corinthians several years ago, you know I don't like that translation one bit. Okay? There's a lot I don't like about it. But it says this, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Accept. Now, that Greek word translated accept, okay, is from a Greek word, dekamai. A deponent verb, dekamai. And this word, Okay. means to welcome. The picture is somebody's on your doorstep at your door. And you either welcome them in or they're a Mormon and you shut the door in their face. You see? You see, you either have a welcoming spirit to someone or something or you don't. That's what this word is talking about. And it says they do not welcome. They're not inviting the things of the Spirit of God into their life. That's what this is talking about. Okay. Now, then Paul goes on and he wants to explain this. Because you see that word for? That always means, if it's rightly translated, um, that there's an explanation. For why? Why don't they want to welcome in the things of the Spirit of God? It says because they are foolishness to him. In other words, if somebody shows up on your doorstep and you think, this is just a waste of time, I'm not going to invite them in. I don't want to buy their vacuum cleaner or whatever they're trying to sell. It's not worth my time. This is just foolishness. You see? 
That's what he's saying about the things of the Spirit of God. This isn't worth my time to consider. I've got better things to do. That's what this means. Okay. Then we're told more. And it says, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. And this is the big problem in the verse as far as translation is concerned. The phrase he cannot understand them is a distortion of the main meaning of this word. Okay, it's a distortion. It's the word gnosko. And uh, for any first-year Greek student, if they were here, would say, well, that means to know. Well, maybe you ought to go back to your lexicon and uh, consider it further. It means to make an acquaintance with something. I'm misspelling this. I don't mean to spell it this way. I'm just going to move on, though. Make acquaintance with a close association. Oops. Close. <laughs> close association with something. Okay? Now, um, he cannot make a close association with the things of the Spirit of God. It doesn't say he can't understand them. That is bull. That's a lie. If an unbeliever cannot understand the, spirit of the things of the Spirit of God, how did the unbeliever ever come to believe the things of the Spirit of God? Answer me. Anyone, any theologian, any scholar. If you can't, as an unbeliever, ever understand the things of the Spirit of God, how can you ever believe them so as to be saved? It's a catch-22. The translation is a catch-22. It presents an enigma that can't be resolved. But the only way it can be resolved is to go back to the original text and see that's not what it says. The gospel is a presentation of a sentence. It has verbs. It has nouns. It has a subject. It has a predicate. It's not complicated. Christ died for your sins. He rose on the third day. Are you telling me you can't understand that if you're an unbeliever? At some point, everyone in this room understood that and believed it. But you're a natural man. You can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, well, then something must be wrong. Then this is the translation that's wrong. What it's saying, though, is that the natural man, he does not make a close association with the things of the Spirit of God. He's not, he's not like wanting to be close to this. He's not wanting to be close to this. He doesn't want to make acquaintance with this. That's all it's saying. Okay. Then, this last phrase, also poorly translated and poorly understood. Usually what they, people say it means is, well, I mean, they... Um, uh, where, 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 verse 14? Sorry, verse 14. Uh, because they are spiritually appraised. You know, well, the people can't understand the things of the Spirit of God because what do you mean? You know, it's, it's spiritual stuff. And they, they're not spiritual. They can't understand anything. Uh, again, that, that just presents the same catch-22. What are you talking about? I mean, how in the world did you ever come to understand it then and believe it? Um, so, it's this word of praise that's the problem. Okay? Anacrino. I'll just put it in the... And uh, again, another first year uh, anacrino... Uh, this should be an R. First year Greek students say, oh, that means upjudge. Upjudge. It's a judicial term. It means to hear a case. 
to hear a case, okay, to uh, examine something. Because what are you doing if you're hearing a case? You're, you're examining. You're examining evidence, right? All right. Now, that is very important, what it's saying right here, okay? This is why he's not going to make a close acquaintance with the truth, because it requires him to basically give a spiritual hearing to the gospel, to the truth. And he doesn't want to make a close association with the truth. Um, he's not welcoming to it. It's at the door, but he's not inviting it in because he thinks, what, it's foolish. I, I'm not going to spend my time doing what? I'm not going to spend my time giving a case analysis of this truth that you're telling me. That's what this verse is all about. And what I'm trying to do here is put it in street terms. That's what this is about. Unbelievers are not... Like going, you know, I just love to have the gospel come in my house and we could talk about truth all day long. That's not the natural tendency. None of them have that natural tendency. Okay? And they don't want to sit down and just analyze it for hours. That's not what they want to do. Okay? Probably because they know if they did that, what? They'd find out, well, this, this is the truth and they'd be convic convicted of it. And it's true. Okay? But it doesn't mean, what this verse does not mean is that no one ever will out there and no one ever has. And you and me, we're all evidence that there were people in this world who considered it and thought about it and understood it and believed it. Every one of us. Now people say, of course, I've heard said many times and read many times and probably said, no one seeks God. Romans 3.11, right? Actually, the text doesn't say that. I hate to disappoint, but it doesn't say that. It says no one intensively seeks God. Because it's exoteo, it's not zoteo. It's the same thing in Acts 17. It's the same thing again. It's the difference between two Greek words. One means seek, one means intensively seek, or seriously seek. You know? No one seriously seeks after God. And that's what this verse is talking about. If it's at the door... They're not saying, oh, come on in, or they're not running out the door looking for it and trying to figure it all out, okay? No, that's not the natural tendency of an unbeliever. But at the same time, it doesn't mean nobody does, because here we are. Here we are. Here you are, here I am, right? Now, let's put all this together. There are people all over the world, okay? Verse 14 is saying that an unbeliever doesn't welcome all the things of the Spirit of God into his life. They're not an open door. Why? Because they're foolishness, right? They don't think they're worth inviting into their lives. It's not worth my time. Further, they don't, can't make an acquaintance with them. Why? Because that requires I've got to do a big spiritual examination. I've got to give a fair hearing, and I don't welcome that into my life. I don't want to do that. And that is, friends, why they don't believe. That's why they don't believe. That's why they stay lost. Okay, now, you can see that uh, from the many people like this in the world, okay, if you go out and you start talking to these people, okay, of course, if you get the cold shoulder, why? Why are you getting the cold shoulder? Well, <laughs> because they're not open. Just like this verse says. They're not inviting you to tell them all these things. They're not, 
They're not. Okay, now if you do go to talk to somebody, you're talking in the natural course of life about these things, and, this, and you're, getting, uh, you're getting warm. You know, in other words, they have some interest. They're expressing some interest. They're actually like dialoguing. You know what? They want to know more. They have some questions, whatever. Um, guess what? You better be going for it. Okay? You better be going for it. Okay? Now, we can connect this with the parable of the soils. Um, because while we know all these things from 1 Corinthians 2.14 about an unbeliever, the natural man, we know that as we're dialoguing with somebody, that Satan is also involved, right? Because it says in the parable that he takes it away. You know, they hear, but then he takes it away, and they don't believe so, to, so as to be saved. So in some way, what he's doing while all this is taking place between you and your friend is uh, he is making sure they don't give you a close hearing so that they reject. Okay, that's what he's doing. But it's not true that they can't. Because again, here you are. Here I am, and here are lots of other people, okay? In the end, who is responsible for rejecting? The individual. Somebody said it, the individual. It's not Satan's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not your fault who are sharing with this person. It is their fault, okay? But in the course of all this, guess what? Some people do respond positively, and God gets the glory. Okay, let's look at the second type of soil here in 1 Corinthians 3.1, okay? And Paul refers to them here as infants, which is what we called them earlier, right? Um, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but, and we'll get to him in a minute, but as to, I had to speak to you as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, these people are believers because they're infants in Christ, right? That's not a problem. So the problem is not that they're unbelievers, but they're just infant believers, okay? And he also refers to them as men of flesh, okay? I had to speak to you as men of flesh, that is, to, as to infants. Uh, so he's using an analogy there, okay, a simile, using like or as, as to infants. So now, I refer to them as infants because that really conveys strongly immaturity, right? An infant's immature. And it's actually different. Now, uh, they're called... Uh, Men of flesh also in verse 1. See, they're called men of flesh. But the word flesh in verse 1 is different from the word flesh in verse 3. The word flesh or fleshly is used twice in verse 3. And this is two Greek words. Both translated flesh. One men of flesh, even though men's not there. It just says flesh. The other one fleshly, okay? Sarkanos and sarkikos. Sarkanos and sarkikos. Very similar word, but different in the dictionary, Okay? Now, the meanings, though, if you look up the meaning to these two words, they're basically identical. I mean, I can't find any real difference. They both refer to earthly human behavior, you know, and that's what he's saying of them. You know, I have to talk to you like people that are just regular old humans, you know, fallen humans, you know, earthly people. Now, so in the context, verse 1, believers are characterized here as living like just every other person in the world. But there's some difference between the people in verse 1 and the people in verse 3 who are called fleshly. Okay, and we're going to get to that. There's a difference between these people, even though they sound like almost the same person. But for now, verse 1, the men of flesh are basically defined here as infants in Christ, meaning they're immature. Okay? Now, there is no reason to condemn an infant believer. I mean, what are you going to... I mean, well, you can do, is that what you do, run around and condemn infants for not, you know, growing up faster? You know, I mean... 
What's wrong with you, infant? You know, you don't get onto the infant. I mean, they're an infant, okay? And that's just the way it is, okay? You have to be given time to grow. The problem here is that now they have moved past the age of being infants, but they're still acting like infants. That's the problem. They've had time to grow and develop, but they haven't, okay? But this is the second soil, okay? They are infant believers, okay? They sprout up, they, the seed sprouts up, but then they wither the next day, and then they never grew, okay? So that becomes a problem then, once they never grow and bear fruit. But just as an infant, that's okay. First day, that was good, right? I mean, is anybody going to get onto the seed for sprouting up the first day? That's a good thing. Here we go. We're going. But then the problem was what? It never went any further. That was the problem. All right, third soil, third type of person, third response. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, both, all three of these verses. So we just keep reading. Let's, let's go on in verse 2. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. So again, he's talking about the infants because that's what you feed infant believers. You give them milk doctrine, right? You give them basics. You know, who's Jesus? What's creation about? What's the fall and sin? And all these basics. Why did Paul give them infant doctrine, milk doctrine? He says, because you were not yet able to receive it. That is, you weren't able to receive solid food. Okay. And what does a baby need? Needs milk to grow, right? So. Um, that's good. Milk is good, but at some point you need to go on to solid doctrine, okay? And here, but here's the problem at the end of verse 2. No problem early on. Milk doctrine, that's all good. But then what? Uh, indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly, okay? In other words, you've had plenty of time to grow uh, beyond the milk and get on solid food, but what? You're still, you're still living like infants, okay? Now, but Paul used a different word here. Okay, sarkikos, not sarkanos. So this word describes somebody who's had time to grow. They've been a believer for a while. They had plenty of time to grow, but they never did. They never got on solid doctrine. They can only handle milk doctrine. And again, that's why Paul makes a distinction, I think, in the word. Number two guys is sarkanos, and number three guys sarkikos. Okay? And the difference is what? One had time to grow and be mature. The other one's just a newborn. Just came to Christ. So, this is the guy in the soils, the third soil. Or, yeah, and he got the seed and all that and received the seed and grew up. But the thorns were there. And over time, he got choked out. Okay? Never bore fruit to maturity. Had the promise. Promise of fruit, but never did. Okay, last one then, fourth soil, fourth type of or response of a person in 1 Corinthians 2.15. We've got to go to 2.15. But he who is spiritual, this is the spiritual man, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we, meaning we who are spiritual, have the mind of Christ. Look what the spiritual man does, okay? He appraises all things. Right? Same word from, that's the same word from the end of verse 14. It's no different. Okay? It's anacrino. And uh, it says, the natural man did not it meant acquaint himself with the things of the Spirit of God. That's what the word means. Okay? He didn't do a close examination. He didn't do a test like a case, a case examination. But what does the spiritual man do? Okay? <laughs> he gives a case examination to everything. See? He analyzes it like you would in a court of law. Okay? He gives a hearing to all the things in the Word of God, okay? That's what verse 16 is saying because verse 16 is just an explanation. It says four. It's just explaining verse 15. So verse 16 is just an explanation. 
He says, and the reason nobody examines me is why? Because we have the mind of Christ. We who are spiritual have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, what do we have? We have this in our brain. Now, what standard is there above this that can stand in judgment over it? There is none. If you are spiritual, there is not a person on the planet who can come and stand in judgment over you. Because we are under he who is the greatest judge, the judge himself, God. And we are in accordance with what he has written. And there is nobody that can condemn us. And that's what he's saying. He who is spiritual is not examined by anyone. Because no one can be that standard above the scriptures. That is the spiritual man. And that is the fourth man in the soils. Right? Someone who has heard the word with an honest and good heart. Which is why he responded so positively and put himself under the scriptures. Okay? And faithfully per uh, persevered and bore fruit in his life. Now these people do exist in the world. Jesus was talking to some of them on this occasion. Okay? And that's what we're really trying to do here. We're trying to define what is depravity. I don't care what the theologies say. I read them all. Not all. But I read a good sampling of them all. Okay? What does it mean to be depraved? It means something. Okay? We all believe in depravity, but in what sense? That's what I'm saying. Obviously a sense in which it includes this concept. The capability of a person to hear the word of God and to welcome it and to do a spiritual examination of it and to respond to it positively. If you say, well, that can't happen, then I don't know what to say except for read these verses. I don't know what to say because Jesus said they could. His entire ministry was based on this premise. That's why he went to all these cities and preached the word of God. If we don't think, okay, and I don't know what's going on in the church today, but I know one thing. We're not exactly, you know, like bursting at the seams in our Bible teaching churches. Okay. Are we? Are we bursting at the seams? Do we, do we need to like, you know, expand? the size of the building to accommodate all the people that are rushing to hear the word of God. Is that right? What if in our minds we have a theology that hinders evangelism? See, there's you and there's me. There's you and there's me. Somehow, somewhere, sometime, you heard the word of God, you heard the gospel, and what'd you do? You believed it. Now, if that can happen for you, do you think that it can happen for someone else? The moment we think that they're not going to, we become contradictions of ourselves. We become living contradictions. Okay? Okay, what are we trying to say here? This is what we're trying to say. We get our theology from a text. Okay, a text is the voice of God. And then we do what? Once we get our theology from a text, and we are, of course, assimilating this with all other texts, then what we are doing is we are like, how do I apply this? Here is, let's do that now. We see four different responses to the word. I think Jesus is basically laying out, these are the four type of responses you'll see in the world. Unbelief, quickly accepted, and then 
fall away, okay? Accept it and go on for a while and then never bear fruit. Accept it, faithfully persevere in it, bear a lot of fruit. Duplicate yourself into someone else, okay? This is what the Bible teaches, right? Okay? Now, let's think about these people, okay? Naturally, people are unwelcoming to the Word of God, the natural man. Satan's involved in influencing them, of course, okay? And it's all rather complicated. <sighs> Spiritual, physical complications, you know, the world. What, 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 what all is going on, okay? Second response, faith, okay? But only for a while they fade out. But are these people saved even though they fade out? Yes, okay? So can you have someone, here's the question again, can you have someone who does not believe at this moment and they're saved? Yeah, okay? Because... Faith does not have to persevere into the end. In other words, you have to keep believing, okay, in order to ensure salvation. A person is saved the moment they believed. The moment they believe, God saves them. That's it. They justify it. Credited with righteousness of Christ. Now, if they stop believing that, it doesn't change what that status in heaven. It doesn't change that, okay? What it does do, though, and Jesus is not excited about it in the parable of the four soils, is it, <laughs> when you perpetuate infancy... Soil too here, okay? The result is there's no fruit, okay? There's no fruit, which is what he's looking for. That's what he wants, okay? Now, do you know people like this who said at one time in their life they were believers, but now they don't believe anymore, okay? And you look at their life, and they don't show any outward sign or evidence that they're saved. Have you ever met anyone like that? I, I know people like this, okay? And it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean that, okay? The problem is this. The problem is we want to see outward evidence that they are saved. That is what we want, okay? So we look at these people and we question, oh, I, don't, I don't know if so-and-so is really saved or not. Um, but more than likely, guess what? More than likely, they are, okay? If they, at one point in the past, yeah, I believe, blah, blah, blah. That's what the second soil text is saying, okay? There is absolutely no evidence that a withered plant sitting there was that could be a believer, but... It is. Uh, now, can there be people who are saved and always remain infants then? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 says, these people will have no rewards. It says they'll have no rewards. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. It says there'll be, you know, good works, bad works put in there, whatever, and there's no good works, and they come out and says, yet so they are saved. But absolutely no good works, okay? Can you accept, can you, can, can you accept that? Can you accept 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15? Third response, okay, third soil, faith and growth, but no mature fruit, okay? Now, are these people saved? Yeah. Can, again, can someone be saved who doesn't have any fruit? Yeah, because... Yes, because fruit or good works are not a necessary result of faith. They're not. They're not a necessary result. They're a desired result, but they're not a necessary result. Obviously, Jesus wants them to bear fruit. It's a desired result. It's not a necessary result. Okay? These people go along in the Christian life. They listen to the Word of God for a while, probably years and years, but they don't do what? They don't stick with it. They don't stick with it. What happens? 
their lives happen, their kids happen, their jobs happen, their aspirations happen, their money issues. These things get in all the way, and what happens to their faith? It gets choked out. Okay? And they never go on to maturity. They don't have bare mature fruit. Okay? They're on the brink of bearing fruit. Very close, but they don't. Have you ever seen these people? They went to church for years. They studied the Bible. They were in Bible studies. They, and then what? After 20 years, they flaked out. After 50 years, they flaked out. Have you ever seen this? Okay? You know why I've seen this? Because Jesus was outlining the way people respond to the Word of God. He's telling us about all the people in our lives. That's why. That's why. Because He's telling you about your, he's telling you your story and the story of everybody you know in one little parable. All right, the fourth, faith. They have faith. They grow, and they have faithfulness until the end through all the trials, and they bear fruit a hundredfold. Are these saved? Yes, and some people say these are the only people who are saved. Those other people, they're not saved. What? Whatever. These people believe just like the prior two, but they have fruit. Now, I want to talk a little bit about fruit and fruit bearing. And then we'll apply this to our own lives and everybody we know. Okay? Now, these have fruit. This is interesting. Okay? Because fruit is told... Let's just ask the question. Does the fruit bearing that we may have in our lives, does it provide a form of assurance or confirmation that they are really saved? Again, be very careful how you answer. Okay? Yes. It does. But it is a subjective assurance. It's a subjective form of assurance. It's not objective. Where do we get our objective assurance that we really are saved? Where could we find objectivity, period? Right here. Jesus said, and this, so this is objective because he said it, and he's the creator. He who believes in me has everlasting life. So, if I have assurance or confidence in his word that what he says is true, then I have objective assurance that I am saved. I have eternal life. Because I believed. He said, if I believed what? Then I have eternal life. So I can have confidence or assurance. Now, so that's where we get objective assurance. But fruit in our lives, like this last soil, could be an affirmation or confirmation that I'm saved, albeit a subjective one. Okay. But, is it true that all believers will have fruit and gain some affirmation of assurance through their fruit? No, it's not. No. We can't say that it's for all believers because soils two and three were saved, but they had no fruit. So we can say that if you have fruit, yes, it, bear, it is some confirmation of assurance of your salvation if you have it, but we can't turn around that around and say, and this is the problem in evangelicalism today. They're saying the wrong thing. They're saying exactly the opposite of what the Bible's saying. They are saying that if you don't have fruit, that means you don't have salvation. The Bible says if you have salvation... Or if you have fruit, you can be assured that you have salvation. But it doesn't say if you don't have fruit, you can be assured that you don't have it. And that's exactly what all the Lordship Salvation thing in all of this in evangelicalism is all about. 
No fruit equals no salvation. That's wrong because we've got soils two and three. They have no fruit, but they do have salvation. Now, they don't have any assurance through that that they're saved, and they probably don't care because what? One of them was believed, and the next day he went back to living like the world. He's probably not thinking about his assurance of salvation, is he? Probably not even concerned about it. But guess what? In the end, it's up to the Lord. He knows, right? We may want to know, but we can't always know in all these cases, okay? Now, that said, let me ask this other question. Can we know that someone's a believer? Can you know if someone's a believer? Now, I hope you can answer this question correctly, okay? In all the years I've been a pastor, this is probably the number one error I've heard, and that's that, well, you can't know who's a believer and who's not. If you can't, if you can't, if you can't know who's a believer and who's not, why did Paul tell us to marry somebody in the Lord? If you can't know whether your mate's really a believer or not, see, you, you, you created a contradiction with the Bible, okay? Bible tells us you marry a fellow believer, 1 Corinthians 7.39, marry in the Lord. Well, if you can't know if they're in the Lord or not, how can you know you're marrying the right person? <laughs> it's kind of silly, right? It's kind of silly to say we can't know who believers are, okay? It's kind of silly. Okay? Of course you know. Okay? I just want you to look around you right now. Okay? Because you're looking at believers. I'm looking at believers. You're looking at a believer. Okay? Now, I know you people are saved. Okay? Why do I say that? Because every time the doors are open, you're in this place. You want to know. That's how I know. Unbelievers don't do that. Don't be silly. Be realistic with your theology. Realistic. Now, the people that just come, you know, like once a week or they're popping in once every few weeks or whatever, I don't know. Probably, but possibly not. Okay? But you guys see, I know. I know. I know. Do you have any doubt about me? Do I have any doubt? I don't have any doubt about you. <laughs> Paul seemed to go around talking about people like so-and-so believer, so-and-so, and this guy, I'm putting him under divine discipline. Now, why would you do that if he's not even a believer? How did he know? <laughs> he knew, okay? Not because God whispered in his ear. He knew, okay? So, yes, you can know, but let's be realistic. You can't know in every case because not all believers are going to have a fruit-productive life. What do we do about those people? What do we do about those people? You know what Jesus wanted? He was right here telling us what to do with them. He said, listen to me. I want you guys to take heed of what I'm saying. He's talking to a big crowd. This would be like us on a Sunday morning with all people out there, you plus all these other people who, yeah, yeah, maybe, probably. Okay? And he said, I want you to be the fourth guy. I want you to be the fourth guy. I want you to hear my word. I want you to faithfully endure it. I want you to bear fruit. Okay? If they're not believers, okay, adios, you know? But you've got your other issues. 1 Corinthians 2.14, you can sort through all that yourself, blah, 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 figure out if you want to investigate these things and become a believer or not. But for the other people that are in there, you give them a challenge, right? Just like Jesus did. Hey, this is the deal. 
This is what Jesus wants to see. Is this what you're doing? Is this your life? Or is, is your life somewhere other way? Are you all involved in the world and the riches and pleasures and all that? Okay. Did you become a believer one day and then you just forgot about it and went another way? Okay, well, this is what the game deal. This is the game over here. Okay, that's the way Jesus dealt with it. Okay. All right. I didn't mean to go that long on that subject. I had a few verses to deal with. Three, four, something like that. But I want to show you, okay, because this text is so important. Okay, for the life of this church. Okay. For your own spiritual well-being, okay, as we're going to find next week. Very, very important that you take what you have learned in your Christian life and you give it to somebody else. What, what is the first soil, fourth soil doing? Duplicating themselves. Matthew says some 30, some 60, 100 fold. Duplicating yourself and someone else. Obviously, many of you have already done this, right? I know you have because I'm some of the product. <laughs> okay? But you still have more time. I still have more time. And that's what we're here for. That's why we're in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for how it is duplicated and repeated in Corinthians. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would not just take these things on an academic, scholastic, intellectual level, but see it as real. That this is a real world. And there are real responses to the word of God. And we want to be in the thick of it. The people we know through our jobs, through community, through fellowship, through groups that we might be involved in. There are people there. Help us to be taking advantage of every opportunity we can and dealing with people in grace in order to give them reason for being interested and wanting to do an examination to think through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And help us to be instruments in your hand. Like the psalmist says, like arrows. To bring light into darkness. And uh, thank you that your grace is sufficient for all of this. In Christ's name, amen.